0: Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. You before. My name is Marty and together with Rachel we get the great uh, honour of uh, leading this location, thanks Chris, of Elevation and it's awesome to have you here this morning. Um, we are in a series. We're actually finishing up a series, uh, which is called uh, "Being the Bad Guys." And so, if you're joining us for uh, maybe the first time, uh, or maybe you've been away the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to jump on the podcast, have a listen to the first uh, two. I'm slightly biased because it is me, but I think they're pretty good. So, you know, have a have a listen, check it out. That would be that would be amazing. But as we've talked about over the last two weeks. Um, this series is based heavily on a book of the same name, written by Perth um, pastor and author, Stephen McAlpine. We had a whole bunch of the books here, but we sold out. So uh, I encourage you, you can jump on Kurong and buy them, or it's on Kindle if you like me, or I think it's on Audible if you're an audiobook kind of person. But uh, it's a great way to keep resourcing Ourselves in terms of how to how to think and respond to the culture that we find ourselves in, in the way that Jesus has called us to, and so uh, here's the here's the quick summary of the first two weeks, um, we currently find ourselves uh, in a culture that's shifting quickly and in some areas has already shifted to a place where many of the classically held Christian core values on identity, sexuality, the sanctity of human life and what it means to be a person or or personhood, uh, the term that they use, um, is now seen. So the Christian views are now seen as not only uh, slightly dated and a little bit old, but uh, oppressive wrong and even dangerous. Now, what we've got to remember is that there has always been a gap between uh, the general mainstream uh, Australian culture or Western culture, whatever you want to call it, and the core beliefs of following Jesus. But it does feel like over the 20, last 20 years or so that that gap has widened quite dramatically. Uh, I think it was the English uh, pastor and theologian John Stott who said that we should approach the Bible. Uh, sorry, we should approach life uh, with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. If I could be bold as to slightly update that and say we should approach life with the Bible in one hand, the smartphone in the other. Hopefully not. T- hopefully not too much. But meaning, meaning that whatever time and culture that we live in. Um, There's always elements of that culture that align with God's kingdom culture and others that don't. Now, I'm not advocating that we need to return to some golden age of 30 years ago where everything was better. Of course, there's many things we find currently in society which are vast improvements from 30 years ago, but obviously there are others that are in decline And the underlying force in our culture right now is what's termed um, expressive individualism, which is all about turning inside to discover your authentic self and it said that the key to life and human flourishing is discovering who you truly are internally and then making the external conform to that. So regardless of biology, regardless of physiology, regardless of time or place or family and tradition, uh, expressive individualism says you'll you'll find true happiness when you find who you truly are on the inside And then you make sure that everything else conforms to what you feel like and who you feel like you are. And so we've talked uh, about that as followers of Jesus, that we shouldn't be alarmed by this. This is not the first time uh, Christianity has been viewed in a negative light. As we read the New Testament, it's full of encouragement to continue to follow the way of Jesus, no matter... The challenges that we face so we aren't alarmed we aren't angry we aren't aggressive instead we understand like John Stott said we understand the current climate and the current culture that we live in and then through the power of the Holy Spirit we live lives that demonstrate the life and the light of Jesus Christ lives that are confusing to those outside the faith because they don't fit the you know, narrative being told maybe by the mainstream media, lives that create intrigue uh, where people start to ask questions because we carry a different spirit uh, than most, lives that are filled with, with positive, with attractive speech that shows the love and care for others while staying true to biblical foundation and knowing that ultimately it's God by His Holy Spirit who draws young and old, to Him. And we get to play a part. We get to partner with God in this great kingdom kingdom plan Sorry, of seeing people come back to follow Jesus Christ because the Bible calls us to be salt and light. Salt and light. I'd love to read this from Matthew 5. This is the message paraphrase 13 and 16. It'll be on the screen behind me here. It says this, Jesus speaking, Let me tell you why you are here you're here to be salt seasoning and that really good like pink Himalayan sea salt that you grind, you know, not like the dodgy table salt. Anyway, enough, enough on salt. But you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours on this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage Uh, from 14. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light, bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. That's the call uh, for all of us. That's, That's what God has for us, to be salt and light. In this world. And so, so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at uh, a young man in the Bible who, in some respects, some are very different, but in other respects, he found himself in maybe a similar situation uh, that we find ourselves in today. And it's from the Old Testament. He's, uh, his name is Daniel. And I want to give you a little bit of a background about uh, about Daniel. So Daniel was, a, uh, was an exile from Judah, and he was taken to live in the city of Babylon. Judah was uh, part of you know Israel, which was, which was God's people uh, at the time. And so Daniel was taken from Judah to live in the city of Babylon. Babylon, as the name suggests, was controlled by the Babylonians, but then uh, the Babylonians got taken over by the Persians. And at the time of writing of where we're about to read from, from Daniel. The Persians are in control under the rule of a guy called King uh, Darius, uh, king of the city of Babylon and we think possibly the whole of the Persian empire at that time. But the thing is about Daniel, not only is he uh, a young man who's been taken as an exile, but because of um, the type of life that he lived and the, and the excellent spirit that he carried, he's actually been placed in a position of power And responsibility as one of the chief administrators over the whole empire. This this was because of the life, like I said, the life that he lived. And so so Daniel is this Jewish man who follows the ways of God, the ways of of Yahweh, the law of Moses, and yet he's immersed in this heavily pagan uh, Babylonian Persian culture. And so we're going to pick it up, pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6. This is verse 2 to 5. It says, The king also chose Daniel. And two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticise or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion." Okay, so here's here's the setup, right? Here's the story. This is just um, straight up jealousy here. These other administrators are thinking, "How did this Jewish kid?" get to be in charge of all these other people? How did he get a position higher than me? I, I don't want to listen to this guy. Come on, we've we got we to make a plan. We've got to do something different here. You know, they, they think we, we're going to dig up some dirt on him. And so they, you know, they send out the dirt squad. They're trying to find out. They're, you know, you know, they're checking his like, Twitter feed from 10 years ago to see if they can drag up something that he said way back. They're checking all the different uh, connections that he has. And they come to the conclusion, basically, we've got nothing. We've got nothing on this guy unless it's in connection to how he serves his God. So here's their plan. This is Daniel 6, uh, 6 to 9. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked, so King Darius, sign the law. That's a pretty... Pretty good plan, right? You know, appeal to a king's arrogance. You know, inflated. Um, you know, self ego and whatever. Like, hey, Darius, we've got a great plan. People should pray to you. He's sitting back there in his throne, thinking, you know what? I think that's a great plan, actually. Yeah, let's just make this kingdom more about me than it already is. Yeah, sign me up. You know, where where do I sign on the dotted line? So, so, so they, they do this, and um, you know, it's all it's, it's all happening. Pretty pretty good plan. Um, and so now Daniel has a choice. He's immersed in this Babylonian Persian culture, which is not in line with what he believes. He's obviously been going along fairly well because he's been promoted. There must have been other things that have been happening in this kingdom that, that didn't align with, um, uh, with Daniel's belief, didn't align with following the living God, with following Yahweh. Um, but now there's a real line in the sand moment. What does he do? There's this clear clash between the Babylonian culture and what he should do and between the kingdom culture. Now from Daniel today, we want to we learn and be inspired by this, this clash, this conflict of culture that he found himself in. Now, now maybe you find yourself in something like that. I'm assuming yours doesn't probably involve a pit of lions. I don't, think, I don't think that's in the mix there. But there could come a moment, maybe in your workplace, school, at your university, social group, friendship circles, maybe even in your own family that is similar to this one, where there's a call of God and there's a clear clash of culture of okay, I know this is the way of God, but then I know this is what I'm being asked to do. What do we do when we find ourselves in those situations? Let's read Daniel 6:10 to see his response. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room, with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So from Daniel, we are going to finish the story. Don't worry. You're like, I haven't heard this before. What happened? What happened? No, no, we'll get there. We'll get there, I promise. But three things that I believe we can learn from Daniel and learn from God's Word about who He is and about how we can respond when maybe we find ourselves in similar situations. Number one uh, is this, if you're taking notes, is that Daniel was faithful. Daniel was faithful. You see, even after the king's law had been declared, Daniel continued to be faithful to what he was already doing. We just read it before, but he went home and knelt down. Um, maybe if we can just flick back to that scripture um, there, Beck. Sorry, uh, Daniel six ten. It says it says that he went uh, he went home and knelt down as usual. As usual, he prayed three times a day. What does it say? As he had always done. You see, Daniel didn't start sowing faithfulness into his life once the pressure was applied. He actually had this rhythm and practice of prayer that that had already been built, that had preceded this law. He had built something in his life. Daniel's response to this new law had begun not when it was announced, but years and years before. You see, Daniel was faithful. Uh, in the little uh, country town that I uh, grew up in in New South Wales called uh, Morpeth, if you're into um, craft shops for over 65s and, you know, uh, nice little historic tours and stuff, you would love it there. Uh, it, it, it's amazing. But I remember uh, as, a, as a primary schooler, we did a, um, did a tour around the place, and uh, part of a you know excursion, we really you know we went about 500 metres down the road for our excursion. Woo, yeah, so good. Um, but we went to there's a uh, there's an old Anglican church uh, in Morpeth. Uh, it's called St James's Church. And so I remember going there, and um, you know they tell you about the history and all that and all that sort of thing. And it was it was built in 1837. I didn't remember that from from primary school. I googled it last night just in case you think, wow, this guy's amazing. No. Um, but it was built in 1837, so fairly, uh, for Australia anyway, fairly old in terms, of, in terms of churches. And it was said that uh, a guy by the name of Lieutenant Close had made a vow to God in 1811 while he was fighting in the Peninsular War that if his life was spared, he would build a house of worship to God, in fact, I think I remember um, for some random reason, the tour person saying, actually, a lot of the old houses a lot of the old houses of worship were built like that, guys with you know bullets flying past their head going, God, if you save me i 'll I'll, I'll build you something I promise and then you know he, he, here we go but but it got me thinking you know obviously it 's sort of you know Worked out pretty well, whether that was God going, well, I was going to build that church anyway, but yeah, sure, you can have it. You go, you go for it. We'll work, we'll work that into the plan or, or whatever. We don't know. But um, the plan that God has truly for us is not that we try and cut deals with Him to save us, not in those moments that we're like, oh, God, if you just help me now, I'll do, I'll do anything for you. No, no. The, the, the ultimate plan that God has for our lives is that we would build faithfulness into our lives every day. They would faithfully serve, and they would faithfully they would faith, faithfully pray. You know, um, maybe you've been listening to this series, and and you're thinking, I, I know what you're talking about. I can see the pressure maybe coming in my place of employment or other areas in the community, but but I'm not sure how I should prepare for this. Can I encourage you that you prepare by building a life of faithfulness to God today, today? Don't wait for the pressure to come. Don't wait. You know what? When corporate says this, I'm going to stand up and I'm going I'm to be this. Yeah, great. But you know what the first step is? Build faithfulness today. Build, build, build a life of faithfulness today. That's what, that's what Daniel did. He built a life of faithfulness that sets us in that rhythm and motion of following God. You know, being faithfully committed to gathering regularly in community each Sunday, to faithfully choosing to you know, allocate time to say no to Netflix or social media or KO or whatever distracts you and say yes to God and His Word and following after, following after Him, to faithfully choose to respond to the way that Jesus calls us when it, when it, when it comes to the disappointments and setbacks that, that come around our lives, to, to faithfully reminding yourself of the security your security, sorry, an identity that's found in Him, not in what you do, not in what you've achieved or, or who you know or even how other people view you, but building a life faithfully for Him every day and faithfully taking time to stop and listen to the Holy Spirit, actively seeking His direction in your life every single day. You see, Daniel built his faithfulness before it was tested, and that'll be the same for you and I, that's the call of God for us today. So so what happens next? So Daniel with faithful, number one. Let's let's read this, Daniel six, eleven to thirteen. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's the official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. So here we have Daniel's Daniel's court. So not only was Daniel faithful, but number two is this: is that Daniel was faultless. Remember the king was basically tricked into setting up this law so that Daniel's jealous co-workers could, could have something on him, could get rid of him, could catch him in the act. But then we're going to read verses 14 and then 16 to listen to the response from the king once he realises like, oh no, this is, this is what's happened. They've got me. Verse 14, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. He tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament, and then down to verse sixteen. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, "May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you." Now, when we hear this word about being faultless, I don't know about you, but it's maybe a little bit scary. It can come across as uh, you know, you you don't know me. I'm not I, I'm not faultless. This is this is sounding a little bit like perfection here. But of course, perfection is impossible. However, I do believe that in our workplaces, in our social groups, in our schools, we can be people empowered by the Holy Spirit who have a faultless reputation. This doesn't mean that you need to be the brightest or the smartest or most intelligent person in the room or the highest scoring or anything like that. There are attributes that speak so much more powerfully than those anyway. But being faultless is about being honest being honest when you make a mistake and miss the mark. Being faultless involves how you treat others. Turning up to work with a positive attitude. Being proactive, not complaining. Adding value no matter excuse me, no matter what team you find yourself in. There's something about carrying that different spirit. And, and Daniel carried this. Uh, this is what Stephen McAlpine says from his book. He says this, Being faultless is powerful. Not just in deficit mode, but in surplus mode too. Not just in what we won't do, but in what we choose to do. If, after refusing to be swayed on ethical matters, you are scorned, disciplined, demoted, or even let go from your job, it must be in spite of the way you live, not because of it. We must cultivate exemplary, grace-filled, and generous lives that challenge any allegation that our beliefs lead us to, to be mean-spirited, hostile, and dangerous. So when the officials came to Darius and said, we've caught Daniel praying to his God three times. Remember, king, that law you made about yourself? He's like, oh, that's right. That thing, that I, that thing I signed. The king didn't think, yes. Finally, I can get rid of this lazy, disruptive, annoying guy that I put in this position. And I, I, I don't, and I don't know how to get out. You know, I've been fighting with HR about how to get rid of him, but I don't know how to get rid of him. Finally, now's the, now's the time to, 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 to get rid of him. No, no, he didn't think like that at all. Why? Because Daniel lived a faultless life. He lived a faultless life. I was in a workplace once when, um, it was very awkward, but during uh, someone's uh, little retirement speech uh, that they did at the morning tea at the end, they decided that, you know, the way I'm going out is I'm having a shot at the boss on the way... 100% 100%, 100% true. Um, I'm having a shot at the boss on the way out. And so I'm not sure if it made that person feel better or they were like, yes, I've stuck it to the man at the end. That's right, and I'm out of here. But can I be really honest, and I think we all know this answer, you know what we just all thought? Whoo, so glad that person's gone. This place is going to be so much better. We're glad you're retiring. See you later. Can we help you to the car? Can we shut the door? No, it wasn't wasn't quite that bad. But, but, you know, this this person probably thought, hey, I've done it. Yes. Into retirement, telling them what I really think. But what what did it do? It just spoke of a life of something completely different. It just, it was not, it was the opposite to a faultless reputation at the end. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave places like that. Even, you know what, even no matter what I think or my opinion or whatever, I want to leave representing Christ. The Bible says that we're called to be His ambassadors. I I, want to leave representing Jesus in everything that we do. That doesn't mean that we're doormats or or get walked over. But what it does mean is that we're faultless, not only in what we don't do, But in what we do, in being proactive, in being the problem solver, in being the person that helps to mend conflict and be the peacemaker, wherever we are, it's not... That We, we want to leave places or we want to impart to our workplaces in, uh, in just such a powerful way. 1 Peter 2 verse 12 says it like this, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when He judges the world. Yes. So we start to come to a close. Maybe Lisa joins me on the keys. Daniel was faithful. Daniel was faultless. And the third point here is that Daniel feared God, not man. He feared God, not man. Like Daniel, we're called to put our fear in the right place. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says this, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. You see, the fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. It's living our lives in a way that demonstrates that God's opinion carries more weight than anyone else's. More weight than anyone else's. Let's read Daniel six seventeen to 23 for the, the end. It says, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment And couldn't sleep at all that night. He was really into this Netflix series at that time, but he's like, "No, I'm turning it off. I'm I'm fasting. I'm about about Daniel." That was a joke that went down really well. All right, anyway, let's keep moving. Verse 19. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, "Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God who you served so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions?" Daniel answered, "Long live the king." My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth, so they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den, not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. So Daniel was faithful, he was faultless, and then Daniel feared God, not man. Notice that in verse 21 there that we just read, Daniel still honored the king. He still honored the king. He said, Long live, long live the king. But then he puts him in the proper order, stating first that God shut the mouths of the lions. And and then this was this was a line from the verse. He said, For I have been found innocent in his sight, talking about God. I've been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. So he's still offers respect to the king but he places God first as the ultimate king over everything you see this big view of God gave Daniel a proper view of humans not a small view of humans but a proper view of humans you see a big view of God means that we do not fear people but it also means that we don't despise them either Humans become the right size, that is, the same size as us, with all the same hopes and fears and dreams and challenges and and things that that we face as well. You see, this is um, from the book as well. Stephen McAlpine says says this, sorry. The truth is that like Daniel, you may be thrown to the lions, cultural ones. You may lose your job, your influence, your status. You may even lose friends and the approval of your family, no matter how lovingly you explain yourself. Your honor and respect for your opponent may not be reciprocated. Yet our final hope is that Jesus' resurrection has ushered in a new age. We have not received it fully yet, but the Spirit's down payment means we are guaranteed that scorn, disgrace, and being sidelined are not the end. You see, just like Daniel was faithful just like Daniel was faultless and just like Daniel feared God ultimately over man. That's the call on us today. God is calling us to live lives that are, that are faithful to His calling. But the Bible says to, to, to live faithfully, live, live up to the call of God. That, that, that's on your life. That, that, that we're to be faultless in our integrity and, and treatment of others. And that we're to hold that authentic, godly fear that gives us the right size view of God because it's God who we're ultimately serving. And so we view God as big so that we can view uh, each other in the way that God views us. And that is on the same level that we all have the same hopes, dreams, challenges, things that we face. But there's something about placing God first in our lives, And, you know, the whole premise of, of this series, because this is the final week and we have, uh, like Rach said, Pastor Miles next Sunday, which is going to be awesome, encourage you all to be here. But the whole premise of this series was that in some respects, because of the, the widening gap between what we we'll call kingdom culture, the kingdom of God and Australian culture, we've got to remember that there's always been a gap. There's always been a gap. And we will be seen maybe in some respects as bad guys, but we're not swayed by that. It doesn't cause us to shrink back. Quite the opposite. It actually compels us to reach out more with more love, with more grace, with more time for people, all while staying in line with the truth of God's Word and His plan for our lives and His plan for others. So this morning... As we we close out this series, I'd love to to pray over you and just declare that the power of God is going to come and fill your life, that whatever you walk into this week, whatever you walk into this afternoon, whether it's work, whether it's family, social groups, whatever it is, that we would understand that God has called us to make a difference. He has called us to influence people's lives. He's called us to, to, to bring the grace and the truth and the mercy of God our world so this morning across this place would you bow would you bow your heads as we pray Jesus I thank you right now for each and every single person here God we thank you Lord as we launch into the week ahead God I just declare that Holy Spirit power will just fill people's lives Lord God I declare right now, whatever they're facing, Lord God, in terms of pressures at work, pressures socially, whatever it is, where, where the enemy wants to come against uh, their faith and against their beliefs, we're a reminder of your word that says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against people, but we wrestle against the principalities and the powers and the rulers in the spiritual realm. And so this morning, God, I just thank you right now. I impart a spirit of victory in the name of Jesus Christ over people's lives, Lord God. We declare right now that you are the one true God, that you alone are the living God. We give you all the honour. We give you all the praise, God. I thank you that you fill each and every person with a spirit of wisdom, Lord God, a spirit of favour right now they would know how to respond that Holy Spirit you would lead them in the words to say you would lead them in the words not to say Lord God and you would fill them with your spirit God and we declare Lord God your word that says it's not by might it's not by power but it's by my spirit declares the Lord so we thank you for that spirit infused power touching every heart and every life this morning and we thank you Jesus just as every head's bowed and eyes closed maybe you're here And you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to tell you right now is an incredible time to to put a line in the sand and make a moment to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. Maybe you have done that before, but you know there's been a step back and a step away from that. I, I want to encourage you to, right now, it can be your moment to say, yes, I'm coming back into alignment with God. Or maybe you're here and you've never made that decision before. Can I encourage you? Now is the time to say yes to Jesus Christ, yes to His plan and yes to His call on your life. So if that's you, would you just lift your hand right now where you are? I'll see it, Then you can put it back down and then we're going to pray together as a church. Is there someone like that here this morning that wants to say yes to Jesus Christ? We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, right now. Right now. God, we lift your name up. We thank of your spirit power in this place. Church, let's pray this prayer. Would you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, this morning, I give my life to you. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you in your ways. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. In Jesus' name, amen.